The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, if you would find your place in the book of Hosea, today is the, the, final, uh, the final message in our series of going verse by verse through this prophecy in the Old Testament of Hosea. And um, this, is, uh, this has been a difficult study for me, I think, because it seems like every week, at least for the past five or six weeks, it seems like every week there's, there's negative, there's um, judgment, there's punishment, there's wrath, there's sinfulness, there's all these things that uh, it's kind of been difficult, you know. And uh, so we get to the end today and... Just by the the title of today's message, I think you'll see something turning uh, the ultimate goal. What what happens when sinfulness has overrun a people and they've gone on and on and on and they refuse to turn? They refuse to repent. They re- refuse to turn away from their sin. They refuse to ask for forgiveness. They don't want to change their ways. They just continue on. God continues to send them uh, prophet after prophet, message after message, and plead with them, turn from this. This is not good for you. Uh, This is not beneficial. You're just hurting yourself. And they refuse to do it. And so last week, the title of the message was The Death of a Nation. And then we get to the final nine verses of the prophecy, and now we see the death of of death, which is actually a good thing. Uh, I want you to think for a moment as we prepare to read this and talk about it for a bit. I want you to think about relationships in particular where perhaps there's been some sort of conflict, there's been some sort of strain, and maybe uh, it's gone on and on and maybe neither side maybe sees their part in the conflict, and so neither side is, is uh, willing, at least at the beginning, neither side is willing to try to make amends. There's just conflict. And it goes on and on. And then, eventually, something happens. Uh, maybe a, a heart changes, or new information, or... Uh, the, the passage of time, something happens and one or both of those people realize, you know, what, what are we doing here? Why, why is this conflict even in existence? What, what were we upset about to begin with? Maybe it's gone on so long you can't even remember what you were uh, at odds about in the beginning. And after, after so much time passes and... Maybe the thought entered your mind, is this ever going to be made right? Will there ever be a resolution to this? And then, almost surprisingly, something happens and there is a resolution, there is a, uh, a breaking down of walls. I had a, an experience personally where uh, that happened to me. I had a, a conflict with a, a good friend 
that I had uh, built a, a really good friendship with, and he, he and I, were, I mean, we, we hung out a lot, we talked all the time, and, some, you know, we just had, a, had some sort of parting of ways where we didn't see eye to eye on something, and we just went separate ways, and, and it went on for years, and years, I, I, and this was someone who I spent a lot of time with. I was I talked to him all the time. We we hung out together. We hunted together. We we uh, we were just really good friends. And and then and then we weren't. And it went on for years. And I just uh, often I would I would just wonder, man, are we ever gonna are we ever gonna talk again? Are we you know are we ever gonna be friends again? Are we going to be ever going to be able to to get past whatever it was? And it actually happened at, of all places, a class reunion after twenty, almost twenty-five years. And I saw him across the room, and you know you have that awkward that moment of awkward feeling, should I go talk to them, or are they going to talk to me, or, you know, and almost simultaneously, we both kind of started walking toward the same part of the room, and I just said, you know, I don't even remember why we were arguing, but whatever it is, man, I'm sorry. I just... I don't want this to continue. Let's just, you know, we're, we're older, hopefully more mature, <laughs> not necessarily, but let, let's just move past it, whatever it is. You know, there, there's too much good to, to throw away just because, you know, whatever, whatever disagreement there was, it, it doesn't, it, it's not important. And from that day or evening on that wall was gone it, there, was a, there was a restoration now do we talk every day? no we're not as close as we were but whatever that was that was causing that conflict it, it's gone And but let me tell you what it didn't just happen there had to be something said, something done it wasn't just going to resolve itself. Does that make sense? If, if it, and by the way, just as a general rule, the longer you let something just sit unaddressed, it does not get better. It gets worse. If you do nothing, it gets worse. You have to resolve it. And that, that's, that's a general rule that's pretty much universally true. So we did, and... and now uh, I've seen him since. Matter of fact, I I saw him at my father's 80th birthday party, and we talked, we hung out, and there was no there was no awkwardness. There was no you know we just like we just uh, were good friends again. But that wouldn't have happened had we not resolved it. Had there not been a restoration. So when we see the scripture before us today. We have to understand something very important, not only for God's people here that are the subject of this prophecy, but for us, for every Christian, for Christian uh, communities in general. 
if there is rebellion or sinfulness in your heart and it's causing a conflict or a wall to be built up between you and God, it will not go away apart from repentance. It won't go away. You can't just let it sit there. Something has to be done. So today we're going to turn our attention to the last chapter of Hosea. And by the way, this is another instance where the final verse of chapter 13 is actually the first verse of chapter 14 in the Hebrew text. So we're going to actually reread uh, the last verse from last week, Hosea 13, 16, and then the nine verses in chapter 14. So let's read. You can follow along on the screen or in your uh, copy of God's Word. <clears throat> Here's what the Bible says. Samaria will be held guilty, for she's rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, take away all iniquity and receive as graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, Our God, to the work of our hands. For in you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout, and his beauty will be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. <clears throat> Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. O oh, Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I'm like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. So whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, <clears throat> let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the righteous will walk in them, but the transgressors will stumble in them. Father, in Jesus' name I pray you would speak to us clearly from your word that we, we might understand and that we might be obedient for Christ's sake. Amen. So this last portion here of Hosea, finally there's a positive note. Finally there is some restoration on the horizon. And there's three sections really in this last chapter where we get to see how God is working and how He has continued to work in the hearts of His people. And you know, you can probably attest to this just by personal experience. Typically, when you have something in your life that's separating you from God, that stuff doesn't just go away quickly. And, and usually, if you're anything like me, you don't necessarily respond the right way the first time. Like You might have a sense in your heart and your soul that that's, I really need to do something different. That this is not, but you, but you don't necessarily act on that immediately. It takes, sometimes it takes a little bit of doing it. So the fact that God is so faithful and so uh, pursuant 
of His people is really a, a, a confidence builder for us. It should be. It should be something that causes us to be thankful that God would continue uh, to chase after us even when we are not responsive like we should be. So the first thing we see in this last chapter, the first three verses really, are a call to repentance. Because you, as you remember how the message ended last week, guilt. Samaria is going to be held guilty because they've rebelled. But when we get to chapter 14, there's a call, return. Return to the Lord your God. Because you've stumbled because of your sin. See, Israel's captivity in this whole scenario, the reason why they're in bondage to another country, is because of their rebellion. It's not because God was just bored one day. We say this all the time. God is not arbitrary. He's not random. So, so things that happen like this, there's, there's only a few options, okay? When, when God allows something to happen, it's either uh, because there's sinfulness in a broken world where we live, or there's discipline that needs to take place, or, but, but God's not just random. He's not just rolling the dice and seeing what happens. That's not how God operates. And so this case shows us that their, their captivity, Israel's captivity, is because of their sin. And so in spite of their sin, there's still an option. There's still a, a way of return that God offers to them. And so we should contrast this with the way they behave back in chapter 6. Because if you were to glance back, you don't have to, I'll read it to you, but it's in chapter 6, the first three verses. They acted like they were going to respond, but they didn't mean it. So they, they responded, but they, they didn't mean what they said. And so they were saying, oh, let's re come, let's return to the Lord. He's, he's torn us, but He'll heal us. He's wounded us, but He'll bandage us up. He'll revive us after two days. He'll raise us up on the third day so we can live before Him. Let's press on to know the Lord. And they, they were saying the right words, but as we've seen over and over and over in God's Word, you can say the right things, but if your heart's not in it, it makes no difference. Uh, it's kind of like uh, a child. When two children are fighting and... The parent intervenes and says to the one that they have discovered is in the wrong and say, all right, tell them you're sorry. And what, what usually happens? Sorry. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, okay. You said the words, but you didn't mean it. You know, so the words are, are great if they're heartfelt. But if they're not, the words in themselves are not enough. And see, that's why what, what God heard from His people back in chapter 6, it was a false confession. Their heart was not in it. Yeah, they said the right thing, but you could tell they didn't mean it. You know why? Because their actions didn't follow up what they said. They just were saying, like you can, we, how many times do we have to say this? Like we could ever fool God. Like, like God doesn't know our intentions in our hearts. He doesn't really know what we're thinking. I mean, that, that's nonsense. We're not talking about human relationships here where sometimes if you're a good enough actor, or I should say a good enough liar, you can fool someone. No, not with God. He knows 
what you're really feeling inside and whether or not your uh, thoughts and words are genuine. So because these words in, back in chapter 6 were shallow and presumptuous, they were an offense to God. See, God's not a machine. He's a holy God of all creation. who He'll bless us, but only as we turn from our sin to His righteousness. Amen. So there has to be action that follows the Word. So what makes this one a true confession? When you see in verse 3, the people say, Assyria is not going to save us. We're, we're not going to ride on horses. Then, then they say in verse 3, we're never going to look at the work of our hands. In other words, we're not going to look at the idols anymore and call them our God. So, so they're turning away from their sins. So there's, there's several things that make up a true confession. Okay? First of all, there's an awareness of sin. Okay? When, when you just say the words but you don't mean it, you may or may not be aware that you've even done anything wrong. It may not even register with you, but true confession, uh, you know your sin, and you know it's serious. You know it's ugly, you know it's offensive to God, and you know it's more than just a mistake. You know, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's more serious than that. But there's also turning from specific sins. That is a characteristic of true confession. So in verse 3, when they talked about Assyria and they talked about their idols and they uh, renounced their idolatry, that was a big deal because then God was seeing a change in their hearts that they were really more serious. James Boyce says that to, re to repent of one's own specific sin is so difficult that it is actually impossible apart from the grace of God. Because you know... We have this instinct in our sinful nature that we don't want to get in trouble. And so that's why we try to cover up our wrongdoing. That's why Adam and Eve ran to hide in the garden because they knew they were wrong. And what do we do? What does the little boy who has a face covered with white powdered sugar, did you eat those donuts? No. And, and it's all over his hands, all over his face. And they're, they're like hold out to the last moment to try to deny your guilt until, I mean, in that case, it's like it's obvious, but yet we still, we still try to cover it up, even though we know we're wrong. The third part of true confession, though, is an appeal to the grace of God. And see, this is a, a, an, an admission that there is nothing in us that is good in, God, in God's eyes. In other words, and let me, let me qualify that statement. We can't go to God and say, um, you should forgive me because I'm a good person. That's, not, that's never going to work with God. Because uh, all throughout Romans, and, and honestly, just in our own hearts and experience, don't we know we're not good enough we're not good enough for God to look at us and say, oh, I, I should really, I, I need you on my team. You, you're, a, you're a standout. You're an all-star. You know, I, I want you uh, on, on my team. That, that's not how God looks at things. God, the only reason God 
would look on us with favor is because he doesn't see us. He sees the scars in his son's hands. He sees the blood that was shed on a cross that covers us up. And that's why he looks at us and sees righteousness. Not because of anything we have to offer. By the way, the only thing we brought to the table concerning our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. That's what we brought. God brought everything good. He brought His Son and the sacrifice of the cross. So the Bible says to take words with you, verse 2. We can't just assume God knows our repentance, even though He does if we're truly repentant. But understand this. There's a great verse in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. Many of you probably know it. When I say 1 John 1, 9, you probably already know. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Do you know why that's the case? Did you know that the forgiveness of our sins is technically not contingent on our verbal confession of them? Because the blood of Christ on the cross, if we have repented of our sins and we have trusted in Christ, the blood of Christ covers it all, right? And praise the Lord it does. You know what that verse is saying? And please get this because this, is, this can be life changing. The reason why we confess our sins is not because God doesn't know and it's not because He's waiting on our confession in order to forgive us. The reason we confess our sins is because it's therapeutic to us. Amen. It, it, it helps our hearts when we confess what God already knows and He has already forgiven and we, we come to grips with it in our own hearts and lives and say, God, I, I'm guilty. I'm sorry. I, I never should have rebelled against You like that. Please forgive me. And, and not just, uh, Lord, uh, just forgive all my sins. No. Lord, I, I was dishonest the other day when I spoke with this person. Please forgive me for that. Um... You know, you know what thoughts I had about that person. Even though I smiled and tried to be polite, you know what I was thinking about them when I, really, when I did that false facade. So forgive me for the, for the attitude of my heart. I'm talking about specific sins. Lord, forgive me. That was, that was not uh, appropriate for one of your children. That confession is good, it's good for our souls. God doesn't need it, but He gives it to us as a command because it's good for us. And by the way, that's how God loves us. He knows what's best for us. He knows what's helpful for us. And so that's why He's been pleading with His people all this time, turn back to me, return, be forgiven. So the call to repentance. Number two, God is promising to restore. He's promising to restore, verses 4 through 7. He says He's going to heal the waywardness of His people. He says He's going to love His people freely, in verse 4. He's going to cause His people to prosper again. When you read verses 5, 6, and 7, they're going to blossom, they're going to take root, their shoots are going to sprout up, they'll be beautiful and fragrant, they're going to provide grain, they'll blossom with great fame, talking about their renown, there in verse 7 be like the wine of Lebanon. They'll be well known. And so God is going to do this work in them of healing and love 
and restoration. So He's going to replace the ugliness of sin with beauty and strength. He's going to replace the feelings of guilt and conviction with value and delight. He's going to replace the, the lack of good things with abundance. He's going to restore them completely. But understand, when you see verse 4 and verse 5, that first person pronoun there, I will. I, that's God. I will do these things. I will heal them. I will love them. I will be like the dew to Israel. I will cause their, uh, their crops to grow and to, to harvest God is going to restore them. And, and by the way, God doesn't say things and then not do them. He keeps His Word. He's trustworthy and He's faithful. So in this final chapter, we see a call to repentance. We see God's promise to restore. But then the final two verses show us an end to idols. Because idolatry is one of the root sins of all humanity one of the most damaging, harmful sins. Uh, we read in Isaiah chapter 42, in verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. There's, and by the way, shouldn't we understand that? I mean, really. Uh, since the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, right? That was early on in, in Scripture. And, and shouldn't we understand commandment number one? You will have no gods before me. Just me. Right? I'm a jealous God. And you know why He's a jealous God? Because He's the only God. There isn't another God. So He has every right to be jealous. There is no one like the Lord our God. Period. There's no other creator. There's no other righteous judge. There's no other loving Savior. He's the only one. He has every right. He has rights of ownership. So he's not going to share his glory. He's not going to share his praise. James Boyce writes that if we would have God, we must renounce our idols entirely. The only thing that will do it is a vision of Him whose glory eclipses all else and whose love draws us to Himself alone. So as we finish this chapter and this prophecy, look with me for just a moment at the first sentence of verse 9. This is a great admonition for us. Whoever is wise, let him understand. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. So here's the question before us. Because we've seen God's hand all throughout this prophecy, but specifically in this final chapter, the call to repentance, return to the Lord. You've stumbled because of your sin. You need to return to God. And then you see God's promise to restore. He's going to heal. He's going to love you freely. He's going to restore all that you lost. But then the final verses about an end to the idols, and then specifically verse 9, if you're wise, you need to understand these things. 
So, what do we need to understand? Here's the question we, we need to ask and answer for ourselves, individually. Have I seen Jesus truly, accurately, according to His Word? Have I seen Jesus the only way to put idols away is to truly see Jesus. We have to see Him for who He is in all His beauty, in all His glory. Sin brings death. Obedience is the path to life. If we've never seen Jesus, if we've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, then that's what's lacking. True confession, true repentance, true surrender. This, this is in, in the Old Testament. This prophecy was given to us approximately 750 years before Jesus was born and took the form of a man. But make no mistake, this is a gospel message. This is a gospel truth. Have we seen Jesus? Have we come to Him in surrender and humility and confession, conviction? Have we thrown ourselves on His mercy? Because if, if not, then we find ourselves in the same predicament Israel was in here. And that is, separated from God, unforgiven, in bondage to sin, in constant peril of wrath and judgment. I heard a joke one time, a guy said, I know when I'm going to die because my birth certificate has an expiration date on it. Think about that for a minute. They don't have expiration dates. It was funny because it's so obviously untrue. So, do we know when our appointment is with the Lord? Because if we haven't seen Jesus, and we haven't approached Him with confession and conviction and surrender, repentance, then we haven't been restored. And if we haven't been restored, then that, that wrath is hanging over us. And we're in danger. See, the, the greater message of the book of Hosea is a restoration where the death of the nation will be overcome. That's the meaning of what we started with, with the, the relationship between Hosea and Gomer, the husband and wife, where the prophecy began, even though Gomer was unfaithful and fallen, she was eventually restored. It's also the message of the Bible in general. Even though we are ruined by sin, if we believe in Christ, we're going to be completely restored so that we might be the new creations where God alone is glorified. But one thing is certain. Restoration will not happen apart from genuine 
repentance, which involves confession of sin and a radical return to God. See, it's only by the grace of God, which is received through faith in Christ, that we are restored. So, so my question this morning is just this. Have you truly seen Jesus? And, and if you have, what has been your response to Him? I can't respond for you. Your family can't respond for you. This is a, a transaction that is very personal. Jesus is ready, willing, and able to save and forgive. But it's not just going to happen automatically. If we continue to sit and wait and fail to respond, then what we really don't understand is we already have responded. Because to say nothing is to say nothing. Jesus is pleading with you right now. And I don't know, I don't know where you are, I don't know individually, um, if you're if you're struggling with something or if you whether or not you have turned to the Lord and repented and, and surrendered to Him and received that free gift of salvation by faith in Him. I, I don't know if that if, if you've done that. But I know you need to do that. And it's not because I said so. <laughs> like I could tell you what to do. Uh, but I can't tell you what God says. And God says Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. So if that applies to you, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, respond to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.